Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good to see you this morning. Hey, a couple of quick things that I'd like to share with you. Um, This past week, Thursday to be exact, um, she's not in here. I think she's taking her husband to lunch. Um, But Lynn Kite, um, our dear sweet we, we affectionately call her the queen of the realm. Um, dear Sweet Lynn celebrated her 16th uh, anniversary on our staff here. And uh, we are so thankful for Lynn. Now, if, you, if you've never met Lynn, you've missed a blessing already. And I would encourage you to take an opportunity to do that. Try to find her one day. Uh, she is normally found oftentimes during the week in our front office. She serves in a receptionist capacity as well as many other things. But um, when I tried to recognize her in the first service, she wasn't in here because she was doing what Lynn does, and that was praying with one of our members who was just having a rough day. That's what she was doing. And um, instead of being in here to be celebrated, she was serving. And uh, that is just who that woman is. And so um, if you've never had the privilege of being prayed for by Lynn on the phone, when you call the church office you know, to just check on something, Lynn will pray with you. And um, so when you get the next chance, the opportunity, those of you that know her, just bless her. Let her know how much you love her and you thank God for her. And um, you will find a blessing in return, I am sure. If you don't know her, um, try to find her. Try to, try to meet Lynn Kite. Uh, it'll, it'll be a great and wonderful experience for you. The other thing that I want to encourage you to do is I pray that somehow, as you made your way in today past one of the tables at one of the entrances, exit to our auditorium, that you saw some of these invitations. These are for you to take to extend. Now, you don't give these out by like renting a helicopter and dropping them, okay? These are personal invitations that you would give to somebody relationally and say, hey, on on Easter Sunday, on April the 9th, isn't it April the 9th? Yeah, April the 9th, thank you. Um, I'm gonna gonna go worship the Lord at River Bluff Church and, and just thank him for what he did. I'd love for you to join me. So it's just, it's, so, it's a, something to get you talking, a tool to help you. Uh, again, don't just throw them out. Don't leave them, don't leave them in the bathrooms at work. Um, use them relationally, okay? I want, I want to encourage that um, as a method to do that. Now, we are going to be looking today at, we're going to wrestle with three words that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. And I know you're saying, Joe, I know you've been slow through this, but, but we're actually going to get through six verses. But we're going to deal with three words in Matthew chapter 7. But before we do that, I want to rewind just a minute and remember the journey we've been on. We've been walking verse by verse by verse through the greatest sermon ever given by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We started, I think, last September. Um, We took a little break uh, for Christmas and all, but we've been just working our way through that. And today we we take a turn because we step into chapter 7. Now, chapters 5 and 6 has mostly been about what goes on in us internally about what happens internally in us. And so that's kind of the first, chapters 5 and 6 have been that, and how we enter personally life in the kingdom of heaven, because that was Jesus' invitation, is that we would repent and believe the good news and enter life in the kingdom of heaven. And in that that sermon, the early part of chapter 5, Jesus deals with an identity issue. He, he, He wants us to make sure that we understand 
who we are in Him and relationship to Him with Him in our lives. And so it's something that everyone who gets baptized here, we, we remind them of. We give them a, a little candle that reminds them of this. And in, in Matthew 5, we repeat Jesus' words that, where He said, you are the light of the world. He goes a little further on past verse 14, and He speaks these words. He said, so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. That is your identity if you were in Christ. It's a part of, central part of your identity. So to help you remember that, today, I got a light. I'm just going to set that there because that's the truth about you if you're in Christ. To remind you that you're the light of the world, that God has a plan for you. To remind you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that's who you are. You're, you're, you're a light of this world. Now, jump over to Matthew chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles open and want to follow there, do that. But Jesus gives us three words to start this part of his sermon. He's changing gears now. He's going into our relationships, how we need to, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, how we need to relate to each other and how we need to relate to the lost world. So uh, this is a, he is upshifting really quickly here, okay? That's what Jesus is doing. He's going for relationships now. And he starts this part of his sermon off with these three words. Do not judge. Do not judge. Don't judge others. And you will not be judged. Today, we're going to wrestle with those three words. We're just going to wrestle through them. We're going to talk about what it means to be judgmental. And here's what's really fun about this message is every one of us has already thought about, oh man, I wish old so-and-so was here today. But you know what happens when we think of old so-and-so? We never think it's us. We never think old so-and-so is us. See, judgment is kind of like, that's somebody else's problem. Rarely, rare, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that says, me, I struggle with judgmentalism. We, we, it's just not something that we, we lead with. You know why? Here's what we say. I'm just right. I'm, it's, it's just hard to hide. I'm, just, I'm always just so right. I'm not judgmental. I'm just Right. And I, you know, if I'm right, I got to tell people. You know, that's just kind of the way it works. So today, hopefully in a little bit of gentleness, I want to wrestle with you in this as one who struggles at times from a spirit of judgmentalism. So the Holy Spirit helped me see again that at times I am a closet judge. And I'm sorry that it's landed on some of you at times as your pastor. And so I'm coming out the closet today. Okay? I'm just coming out, out the closet, and I'm just going to say, now, here's the deal. I never lead with that. I never start a, a conversation that way, and I do a pretty good job of candy coating it so, you know, it, it'll go down a, a little bit better. But I can, I can struggle with a, a judgmental spirit. Just a few examples of some of the things that I might judge you over. If you watch the Oscars, 
the whole show, I probably have judged you. If you think cats are better than dogs, you know I've judged you. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know? <laughs> if you think there's a better chicken sandwich than Chick-fil-A, that is God's chicken, people. I, I just don't know that I can have love for you. No. Those are kind of silly things, I, I know. But maybe on a little bit more serious note. Again, this week I had to wrestle through this. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of some things um, where I still struggle with this. And he reminded me that I have a spirit of judgmentalism uh, towards lazy people. People that, from my perspective, I deem to be lazy. I have, you know, some struggles judging people who publicly carry the name of Jesus, but use it to beat other people up. I just, sorry, I, I, I judge them. So what that means is, as silly as it sounds, I have judgmental problems about judgmental people. You know? I, I just, I, I do that. And now, here's the way I kind of work this out in my head. Because I think I'm right, I see every time I practice this spirit of judgmentalism, I see Jesus standing next to me, putting his arm around me saying, go get him, Joe. Go get him. That's, that's kind of how I, I rationalize that kind of thing. But I, again, because this is an issue I deal with, I want to deal with it a little gently this morning for all of us because my guess is there's somebody else out here who's wrestling with this. In fact, I think all of us do at one level or another in their in their book um, unchristian david kinnaman and gabe lyons report on a national survey that was done by the barna group years ago and it was they surveyed um, non-christians and uh, it was a massive survey but one of the things they did was they gave them a list of words to choose from and they asked them to pick their, like their top three and prioritize them. Here was the number one word that non-Christians said about people who are Christians in their lives. It was judgmental. And I'm, I'm starting to say guess. I'm just going to tell you. 87% of people who responded to the survey, that was their number one response. The Christians in my life are judgmental. Basically, nine out of every ten. Now, that was about 11 years ago, I think. I think that's probably only gotten worse than the perception of the public. And I think it's something that we just need to address and deal with. Um, and it's in God's word. And Jesus said it, so we've got to. So, if you're a follower of Jesus and you let people around you know that, interestingly, you're being judged, most likely. Um, you know, by people that you're, are saying, that's what's wrong with them Christians, they're judging us. But here's the, the, the thing we need to grab hold of. They're not the people who have said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior and the one that I'm going to model my life, my life after and I'm going to adjust my life to his teachings. And he said, do not judge. It's not for them, that's for us. So we're the ones that have to 
to deal with this. Um, we're the ones that have to really wrestle with these words of Jesus today. Do, do not judge. And we have to just assume that the world is at least partially right. Let's just give them that today, okay? Let's just assume that they're partially right. And I think Jesus wants us to hear him calling to us to speak into this, to think into this. And even though I don't want to think I'm judgmental, it's just the truth about me. And part of that I've discovered is because in some ways it makes me feel better about myself. I'm just, that's a sad truth, but it's just, it's true when it comes to this issue. So today what Jesus, I think, is saying, maybe not so gently, is we'll get into deep, deep trouble if we don't clearly hear his words and choose to adjust our lives to the words that say, do not judge. Now that word judge that's used here is a massive word. It can be interpreted and translated in lots of different ways. And so I want to talk real quickly. I'm going to blow through these. What I don't think Jesus is saying here, okay? I don't think Jesus is saying when he's using this word judge here is I don't think he's saying stop all thinking. Just quit any critical thinking. I don't think Jesus is saying that. Another thing that I don't think Jesus is saying is you got to figure out how to agree with everybody. Don't think Jesus is saying that, you know. You've got to discern truth from error. And so there are going to be some people who, you know, look at things and just, you're going to disagree with them. So it doesn't mean you'll never disagree with anybody. And it also doesn't mean that if you disagree with someone that you can never speak to them. You can never talk about what you disagree over. That you just have to, you know, bite your tongue and sit in your hands. That, that's not what Jesus is saying. So what does he mean when he's addressing this? Because again, this word judge... It, 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 is, it is translated in many ways. It can be uh, translated as making a moral judgment. It can be translated as making a legal judgment, judging, discerning truth from error. Uh, it can be used to talk about ways to enforce law. It can be used to talk about God's judgment. It can also be translated as condemnation. So it gets translated in, in a lot of ways. So what, what is the heart of what Jesus is addressing here in the context of of this message. Now, months ago, I, I read a, a real, very brief book. Uh, it's entitled, What If Jesus Was Serious? And it's about lots of different topics. Um, it was by Sky Jathani. And in it, he had an illustration that I thought was just, just marvelous. So I want to share it with you. It's going to come up on the screen. I think it, it just kind of paints a great picture uh, of judgment. And in this, in this drawing, um, it, it kind of points out there's a range of meaning. On one, one end, there is just the ability to discern, you know, that things are different. On the other end is condemnation, okay? And in between, there are other interpretations. And so here you have a group of apples and oranges, and discernment, judge, is just simply saying apples and oranges are different. There, there, there are apples and there are oranges, and they're not, not the same. That is, that is just simply an observation. It is a discernment. Not a moral decision in any way. But the other side of that coin is not discernment, it's condemnation. It's you making a decision that apples are less than oranges. That God loves oranges and hates apples. Down with apples, you know. That's kind of this, this 
movement, the spectrum here. Now, let me get kind of greeky-geeky real, real quickly. The word that's translated, that we get our word judge from here is the word krino. And in its simplest, purest form, it just simply means to separate, to separate. But what we do is we often take farther just separating to condemning. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. Because we are called by Jesus, we're called by, throughout Scripture, to be discerning. The Sermon on the Mount wouldn't make any sense if we didn't have some discernment about what was going on there. Uh, in his letter to the church at Corinth, his first letter, Paul writes these words in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, the person with the Spirit makes judgment. That word there is anacrina. It's the derivative of crino, and it, it's just simply about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. So there's, there's something deeper here, Paul is saying. Something more than just our ability to human judge. So what Paul is saying is because the Spirit of God is in you, you will have a divine ability to discern what's going on in the world, to see truth from error. Friends, that's a good, good thing. We, we, we need to have that. But we also need to remember that like that, discernment can turn to condemnation in our own lives. We, we can get to the place where we're judging and saying, you know, God loves oranges, hates apples. We, our, our souls do that. And we pronounce a verdict. We condemn someone to something. And when we do that, what we've done is we take out our gavel. Guilty. We, we pass a verdict on people. Are you a gavel lover? Do you wear the gavel? Does it show up more than your light does? See, this is what I think Jesus is wanting us to wrestle with today. Is when we start, when we begin this idea of addressing somebody else, we don't, we don't stop at thinking, you know, the way they're thinking is a little off. We look at them and say, there's something wrong with you, dude. There's just something you're eating up. You're just broken. Not, not that your thoughts are off from God's, but there's, you're, you're just, there's something wrong with you. And so we go after people, you know, um, and, and especially people who want to be kind of moral guys. And we think that our job is to point out everything that's wrong with everybody else, and they become critics of, uh, of everyone. That's what Jesus is talking about here, is how we go in that direction are we people who carry around the gavel instead of just discerning we judge now if you've ever been on the receiving end of somebody else's judgment it can be painful it can be painful to carry that being judged spirit around thinking that you know that person sees themselves as God judging judging my inner inner motivation Again, it's not just saying something's wrong. It's saying you're wrong. You're broken. You're almost inhuman. It's kind of where that comes down. Listen to Jesus' half-brother, James. He came to understand what Jesus was teaching here. In James chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Don't spread evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. 
But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. See, when we, when we judge, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. And I've said this before and I'll say it again today. The biggest difference between us and God, between you and God, between me and God is God does not think he's us. We think we're him. And we try to sit in his seat. See, in judging, we make the same mistake that Adam and Eve did in the garden. Thinking that we, you know, we're going to set ourselves up as, as gods. I love the way John Wesley spoke about this passage. He said this. He said, the judging that Jesus condemns here is thinking of another person in a way that is contrary to love. See, the reality is, that where you've been placed in your family or at work or in your neighborhood, your community, you've been placed there by God, not as judge, but as a citizen of his kingdom, of the, of the kingdom of heaven. And here's something I want you to take away today, and it's simply this. As God's kingdom citizens, we're to be life-giving, not judgment-pronouncing. As kingdom citizens, that's where we're planted In the places and spaces he's planted us, we're to be life-giving, not judgment-pronouncing. That's not our our job. And we we just need to admit, for those of us who love this book, that can be difficult. That that can be very difficult because we want to live by the words of Jesus. And we have a hard time holding this up without pulling this out. We just want to walk around with these. You know, and we really start falling in love with this. And we just want to beat people up with our gavels, thinking that somehow we're going to get the word of God into them that way. And so we try to to posture ourselves as something other than we are. And what we need to posture ourselves are, are as citizens of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, who are aliens in this world. Not gods. We're, We're aliens in this world. So would you do me a favor? Just look at the person close to you and just say, judgment ain't your job. Just as a way to reinforce this today, just say, I mean, if nobody's near you, you can just look at me. And I'll tell you, judgment ain't your job. It's just not. Some of y'all are enjoying this too much, you know. Um, But, you know, if if we're going to let our light shine, we got to let go of the gavel. We've got to willingly choose to let go of the gavel. We've got to believe that Jesus' way is a better way than me clinging to the gavel. You know, we've got to do that. Now, I've noticed that I will typically put my gavel kind of maybe in my back pocket so I can pull it out when I need to. I don't lead with the the gavel. You know, I I, I don't do that. We, 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 We don't lead pronouncing judgment. You know, we, we look at somebody who thinks differently, believes differently, you know, we reach for the gavel then. Kind of like, you know, uh, the, the Old West six-shooter pulling it out and popping some off. And Jesus is telling us today, you know, we've got to address this. We've got to deal with this. Maybe, just maybe, it's not a coincidence, just not a coincidence that everybody we want to judge doesn't seem to come towards us maybe there's something that jesus wants to get at 
on the surface of this that we just need to wrestle with. And maybe it's this. Maybe instead of seeing Jesus as having his arm around us saying, go get him, maybe what we need to do is see Jesus standing in the middle between us, doing what the Bible says Jesus does best, drawing all people to himself. Maybe that's what we need to do is envision that Jesus. And I think the big idea for Jesus here today that he wants us to grab hold of is in the kingdom of heaven, we're called to be life-giving, non-judgmental presence in the places and spaces he's landed us. Life-giving, non-judgmental presence in the world. And Jesus gets really, really, really practical in his words to us today. And so he says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Those are just very practical words. He goes on in verse 2 to says this, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, some people will say that what Jesus is talking about here is eternal judgment. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think this is very practical, relational-based teaching that Jesus is giving us. I think the evidence points to the fact that Jesus is talking about temporal, earthly relationship judgment. I think that's what he's doing. And so here's how I would reframe it so uh, it, it kind of makes sense to me. If I'm a jerk to others, I should expect them to be a jerk, treat me like a jerk. If I'm a jerk to others, I should just anticipate being treated like a jerk. And so what I think Jesus is saying here is he's going to show us a better way than judging and give us reasons why we shouldn't. So first of all, I think Jesus is saying it's better not to judge because judgment is like a boomerang. You throw judgment out there, it's coming right back at your head. It's just coming back at you probably faster than you released it. it it's coming back just kind of full force. Now this isn't like karma what goes around. This, this isn't that kind of thing. This is just simply Jesus saying, this is how human relationships work. This is just life in, in the real world. If you go around with a judgmental spirit, people are going to look at you with a greater critical eye. They're going to look, to, they're going to try to trip you up. And you can see this in, a, in, in places like the, the Twittersphere. You can see it in any social media movement. You can see it in, in, you know, news media challenges. You know, something that may start as an exchange of different ideas rapidly debilitates into the judging of the other person. It comes back at your head. And in our culture, you get canceled. We just cancel people, you know, just obliterate their humanity all altogether. And what Jesus is teaching here is simply, it's just playing out all around us. We see this. If you judge other people, they're going to look at you in a way more critical way. For instance, if you're a leader, let's say, of the new moral majority, and you judge other people in the way you address them, there are going to be people all over the place who are going to be holding giant magnifying glasses up to your life, looking to catch you stumbling. That's just the way the world works. And Jesus is pointing this out. He's helping us see this as reality. And so he goes on. In verse 3, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice the log that's in your own eye. Now, friends, that was comedy in Jesus' day. I mean, it's really silly to think that you could get close enough to see a speck in somebody else's eye if you've got a board this long sticking out yours. I mean, it was, it was, it was intended to be humorous, but at the same time, make a point. Jesus goes on and say, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? And he polishes that off with this phrase, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. See, Jesus is saying that we got to deal with this other thing first. And he goes on, I think, is saying it's better not to judge because judgment is always hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, because you and I, quite frankly we could also always be judged for something. There's something going on in your life right now, some place where you're failing miserably, following Jesus, and you could be judged for that. So to judge another, quite frankly, Jesus is saying it's hypocrisy. You know, there's, there's just some way that Jesus is inviting us to look at life differently in a different way, and it has to do with this. And we've got to avoid judging because we could always be judged. Jesus is saying, listen, the starting point of dealing with a speck in your brother's eye is to stop feeding the arrogant pride in your own life. That's often, you know, our, our log. That's often what's, what's going on with us. And we need, to, we need to realize this. You know, we need to understand that this either, you know, we can bring life to somebody or we can take life from people. And here's the truth about, about this self-righteous stuff. Self-righteousness and pride, these are the fuels, these are the fuels that judgmental hearts live on. It's just the fuel that they live on. That's Jesus' point. And this is just how, how we continue to live in this. And so the big issue here is, is the prideful arrogance, you know, is, it's also simultaneously one of the most acceptable sins in the church today. That we're, we're, we're proud of our judgmental spirits. You know, that we can point out sin in the world quickly. And so it's one of the hardest to detect. You know, it goes back to that, hey, we're just right. You know, you can't hide when you're right. You got to shout it out. But how you shout it makes a difference. And so can we just admit... Can we, can we, to each other, just personally for a minute, that all of us, me included, we all pick and choose the sin we want to put judgment on. And we never want to put judgment on the one we're struggling with. We, we always want to focus it out there. One of the things that uh, Kinnaman and, and Lyons said in, in their, their book, and they were summarizing some of their findings and some of the ways that they had spoken with Christians about it. They said this, our research with Christians confirms that often we miss the point of reflecting Jesus to outsiders because we're too busy catering to the expectations of other believers. In other words, we're just content to keep each other happy. If we could just keep each other happy, yay for us! You know, Jesus has something more in mind. So I want to say something for just a moment that I hope clearly communicates a deep truth that I believe about the church in general, but I want to say specifically for River Bluff Church. We, 
are a collection of sinners who Jesus has made into saints. We're just a collection of sinners. When, when we gather, we gather under the banner of God's goodness and his great grace. Anytime we gather to worship or, or take the Lord's Supper together or pray together, every time we walk through those doors together, we are gathering, saying to one another and to the world, we are absolutely desperate for God. We, we just are. That's who we are. And so if, if you're visiting with us today, I just want you to hear me real clearly say this. If you are looking for a church with some perfect people in it, baby, you have turned down the wrong aisle. You just have. As John Ortberg says, and I love the way when he said this, all of us, we all got here with tags on us that said, slightly irregular, take as is, baby. And that's what we've done with each other. And that's just the truth about us. And so Jesus asked this question in light of that, who are you to judge? Who are we to judge? And so Jesus presses us on this even further. He says this in Matthew 5, uh, 7, 5, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, what Jesus is saying is most of the time we can't see clearly. We can't see clearly what's really going on in the lives of somebody else. Have you ever made a mess of something relationally? And you've tried to untangle it yourself, and you seem to never be getting anywhere? Here's why it's so hard. It's because we have a hard time... Have, uh, have a hard time understanding our own heart's motivation that got us in the mess in the first place. That's why it's hard to untangle it yourselves. Sometimes we have to have outsiders help us. If it's hard for us to know our own heart's motivation, how impossible would it be to understand the heart of another's motivation? We, it's impossible. We, 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 we just can't. We, we can't do that. And so we've got to step into this with that as our reality, as knowing that we cannot understand the heart and motivation of, of somebody else, you know? Because here's the other thing that often happens with our judgment, is what we're doing when we judge somebody else is we're just simply projecting our own pain into their lives, projecting our shortcomings, projecting our own struggle with secret sin in our lives. And just like a projector, all a projector does is beams out what's in it, being sent into it. We project that in our judgment. We project our pain. So one of the things that I think Jesus is saying is it's better not to judge because judgment is most often rooted in misperception we cannot properly perceive what's going on some of you are familiar with the church because they've been in the news on many occasions called westboro baptist church and you will see them picketing um, at funerals of those in the military at funerals of people who 
practice homosexuality, and they'll hold up signs that say things like, God hates, and you just fill in the blank with whatever, and they'll go to funerals. Now, I, I think that that type of judgment breaks my heart on, on lots of levels, but two main ones. First is because publicly they're saying they're representing Christ, and that breaks my heart for how the world sees us. But the other way it breaks my heart is because they're probably projecting their own pain. They're probably, you know, they probably have this internal narrative that's going on that God hates me. That God at the core really just hates me. And so their signs would be more accurate if they held up signs, you know, that are projecting what's really going on in their own souls that God hates me. And so that breaks my heart. See, when you, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that you just sensed just deeply, deeply, deeply was awed by the love of God because they're usually people that are deeply connected to their own sinful nature, deeply connected knowing that they deserve nothing more from God, nothing because they got his grace, the grace of the King of Kings and Lord's Lord. And they're, they're, they're just able to give grace back to those uh, around them. And, and so what Jesus is saying is because of these reasons, because judgment is like a boomerang and because judgment is always hypocrisy and judgment is most often rooted in misconceptions, we, we, we got to get out of that. We got to stay out of that business. Because it's unhelpful, it's unhealthy. You know, I doubt, I doubt anybody in this room can say they had a conversation in which they really kind of went at somebody and judged that person, and they came back the next day and said, oh my goodness, my life has been transformed. You were so right. It's just not the way that plays out. See, and Jesus isn't done with us yet here, folks. He's got a little more to say, and and he brilliantly kind of turned some phrases around that help us understand that he has plans for his citizens of heaven who are still aliens of this world to live into this in some neat ways. And so I want to kind of quickly, kind of quickly run through six ways that Jesus gives us in this text, in the Sermon on the Mount, six ways that Jesus gives us to, to, to engage in life-giving Speck removal, because we're called to do that. Part of the reason that we are in relationship with each other, God gives us one another to help us get better, to be healed, to find truth and live in that truth because it's life-giving. Listen again to, to Matthew 7, 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus intends for us to be in the speck removal business. we got to do some other things first. And let's talk about these, what I would call six life-giving speck-removing truths, if you would. Number one, life-giving speck removal always begins with ruthless self-examination. It always begins with ruthless self-examination. Before we dare examine the speck in a brother or a sister's eye, we've got to be doing the hard work before God, in the presence of God, to examine our own hearts. We've got to pray the prayer of David from Psalm 139 that says, Search me, O God. 
point out evil, any, any evil way or wickedness in me. Point, point that out, oh God, and then lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in that, in that path, Jesus, that brings eternity into focus for others. And if we're not regularly laying ourselves before the Lord that way, then we will, we will always operate out of arrogant pride. The only way we'll ever have the ability to, to speak in a way that helps remove a speck from somebody else's eye is we have to just spend time before the Lord in this. I love the way Henry Nouwen speaks of this in his great book, The, the Wounded Healer. He says this, he says, who can take away suffering without entering it? The great illusion of leadership in our day is to think that a person can be led out of the desert by somebody who's never been there. Friends, we have got to lay our souls before the Lord and ask him, search me, O oh God. Search me, O oh God. I'm not going to say another word to anybody about a speck in their eye until I am saying to you, search me, O oh God. And so maybe the big practice this week for all of us is that we would just sit in the presence of the Lord, silent, get alone, and just say, search me, O oh God. God, would you point out in me those places where I have not surrendered more fully to the everlasting way. God, point it out. Now, can I tell you something? Most people will tell, I want to find a prayer that Jesus will answer. Jesus will always answer that prayer. Jesus will always answer that self-examination prayer. He wants to point it out more than you want to know it because he wants to give you more life. And so Jesus presses in even deeper here. Back to verse 5, he says, First take the logget of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, if you truly care about someone, you don't want them living with something that's damaging to their eye. You want to do something about it. You want to, you want to help. And so we've got to remember the goal here. What is it that we're trying to accomplish? The goal always involves their restoration, their wholeness. And so life-giving speck removal always, always, always envisions redemption. It is not me getting to communicate that I'm right and you're wrong. It always envisions redemption. That's the goal. The goal is not to be right. The goal is to be helpful. It's easy to be right, folks. It's easy. It's hard for that rightness to be helpful. You know, we, we love... We love John 3.16, God so loved the world. But we need to focus a moment on John 3.17, why Jesus said God sent him. And it was not to condemn the world, but that salvation might come to the world through him. It's about redemption. Jesus, anytime Jesus gives an in, invitation to repentance, it's for redemption. It's not for condemnation, it's for healing. Repentance always leads to real life because God is kind and he's loving and he wants what's best. So maybe, maybe this week, maybe instead of, maybe instead of forming an opinion when we see someone who looks a little different, acts a little different, maybe thinks a little different than we do, instead of, instead of passing judgment, 
and just focusing on the difference, maybe, maybe what we need to do is pray a prayer of blessing. Just, just aside now, when my heart starts running towards I'm just going to stop. And I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing. I'm going to pray for that person's well-being. I'm going to pray for God's goodness to come into their lives. Because here's what happens. When we do that, we're changed. We're changed. We move away from judgment. Back to verse 5. Jesus said, you hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Friends, Jesus is pointing to relationship here. And he's showing us that life-giving, speck removal always relies on relationship. you got to have a relationship before you enter into any kind of speck removal. We have to operate from a place of relationship. If you have a disagreement, you do it in the context of relationships. But here's what we love to do. We love to drop us some truth bombs. We just love to lob truth bombs, you know? And when you lob a truth bomb, what you do is you throw it over a fence. You're not doing it conversationally in relationship face-to-face. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Heated debate rarely, if ever, changes anybody. If you've, if you've followed any, you know, Twitter debates... The next day, nobody shows up who was in that debate and says, thank you, thank you, thank you. I now see the error of my ways. I'm so changed. No, it needs to be done relationally. It, it has to happen that way. We, we, don't, we don't, none of us typically change just because somebody lobs a bomb. We, we won't change until we start thinking that that person that has spoken this to me cares for me cares about me and I know that they care about me and what Jesus is saying is speck removal this life-giving presence that he longs to bring into his world is a relational endeavor quickly fourth life-giving speck removal calls for cooperation calls for cooperation if you have this Wrestlemania mindset where you see somebody who's having a problem and you think it's your, your job to slam them down, sit on them, pry their eye open, and pluck out that speck, ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to seek cooperation. You know, it's, it's got to go that way. When, when you want to change somebody, you got to love them first, and they got to know that they're, they're being loved by you and that you, you're seeking cooperation if you have ever tried to walk with somebody who is stuck in an addiction you have got to be willing to have conversations with them and then you've got to be willing to listen and so this fourth path involves cooperation it it just calls for cooperation nothing nothing's going to change until we're we're willing to do that we've got to have those kind of conversations and friends if somebody will enter into that kind of conversation and start hearing you in their souls, for God's sakes, listen. Here's what we do in most conversations is we are plotting while they're talking what we're going to say next. Don't do that. Really, really listen. Even if there has to be awkward pauses for you to stop and think about what you're going to say next, 
If somebody's going to be open in this moment to cooperative change, if they're hearing your truth, if, if they're starting to see they got a speck in their eye, please listen to them. That's not the time to blow past it. Conversations, listen. Number five, life-giving speck removal travels tenderly. It goes in gentleness because it flows out of a place of care. It flows out of a place of love. See, Jesus, he... I love Jesus' teaching. He could have chosen, you know, other body parts to talk about here, but he chose the eye. How many of you love it when somebody messes with your eye? Does anybody, has anybody gone back a second time to an ophthalmologist who is aggressive? We want our ophthalmologist to be gentle. We want anybody messing around in our eye to come at us very slowly and gently. We just we don't like to be surprised in our eyes. And Jesus knew that, and that's what Jesus is saying. When you come to somebody like this, it, it's like this thing in your eye. You got to come as a as a restorer of in, in peace and, and gentleness. Paul writes to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 6, Paul's writing to this church because there's some tension going on in the family of God there. Some people were struggling in sin, and this is what he says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of what? Speed? No. Gentleness. You move with great care. You move slowly because your words, friends, your words carry weight. Your words will either develop someone or they will destroy someone so you got to come at this slowly with great care with great gentleness you just got to do it that way walk in that way we've been given opportunities to do that the, the word that we're looking for here is empathy we've got to have empathy we've got to we've got to walk into this the way we would want somebody to walk towards us finally here's the last one this is verse six Verse 6, Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Well, now that's real clear, you know, as mud kind of thing. How many of you, other than Miss Piggy, have ever seen a pig wear pearls? We don't, we don't give pigs pearls. Because pearls are treasures, not to pigs. They're treasures to us. So we don't give our treasures to pigs because all they'll do is trample them in the mud. And then, you know, when they can't find the pearl anymore, they're going to turn on you. Come after, come after you. Pearls are good things. Treasures are, are good things. And, and what Jesus is saying is, your judgment might be right. It might be right. Is it good? Will you walk in wisdom? Will you, will you treat it a, as a treasure? And will you speak it in such a way that they can receive it? Because if they can't receive it, it will do them no good. And so life-giving, speck removal always walks in wisdom. Always walks in wisdom. Because our, our goal is not to just say true things. Our goal is love. It is to love. And friends, timing, 
plays a very important part in this. Right timing. And so there, there are times to be silent and there are times to speak. Jesus practiced that. There were times when he would be silent because our goal is always redemption, not saying what's right. Okay, I'm done with the message. But I want to say this. Um, I believe in our day. I really do believe this. I believe we're seeing shakings of this. I believe that God wants to bring a spiritual awakening in our nation. I believe that. There, there are shakings in our land. But spiritual awakenings always follow the reviving of God's people, which always follows the repentance of God's people. And if there's a place that the church of Jesus in the United States of America needs to repent and be revived, it is in this area where Jesus tells us, do not judge. So if, if you want, if you want to see salvation come to our nation and a great awakening come, then you, you're going to long for revival in the church and revival always starts with me. It always starts with you. It always starts inside of us. It always begins by praying the Psalm 139 prayer. Search me, Holy Spirit. Search me and see, point out where that evil way is in me. Help me get the log out of my eye so that in love I can engage in speck removal. Revive me, oh God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we long for, we long for you to send revival because we long for spiritual awakening. We have neighbors. We have family members. We have people that we work with that God right now if they were to step out of this life and into the next, they would bust hell wide open. And it breaks our hearts. And God, the thought that our judgmental spirit may keep them from finding your grace destroys us when we think about that. So, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of the living God, we come in this moment saying to you, search us. All of us, in some ways, deal with a spirit of judgmentalism. Search us. Point out in us. Pull the log out, oh God. Because we want to be kingdom citizens that are life-giving. We want to be life-giving presence in a world that is broken and desperate for you, oh God. So we pray right now. Point out any any evil way in us because we want you to then put us on the everlasting path so we can walk it out with others we don't want to judge help us God help us God Holy Spirit we come 
declaring again our need from you, declaring our, uh, again our need for you, declaring that were it not for your grace, O oh God, we would be the ones busting hell wide open. We need to remember that. Keep us mindful of your grace in the gospel for us. Don't let us move to arrogant pride in ourselves and our self-righteousness. Drain that from our souls, oh God. Help us be your people who love like you love, who see others the way that you do, in need of you and your grace. We repent again this day. And so we beg you, revive us. Send revival, God. Send revival in River Bluff Church. Revive us, oh God. We come. We surrender again this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these prayers. And all God's people said, amen.